Welcome to Hope. It is good to have you with us as we gather together to worship this morning. My name is Pastor Tom, and a couple things going on around here that you should probably know about. Uh, First of all, if you are visiting with us today, or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this card, this piece of card stock in your bulletin, and we will follow up with you accordingly. Um, So, like anything that's going on, that you need prayer for, just write it down here, drop it in the bucket on your way out, we'll take it from there. Um, Let's see, if you're online, you can reach us through our online portal and our website and communicate those prayer requests that way as well, so please let us know how we can be supporting you uh, and whatever's going on in your life. We have several things that happen throughout the week. We have on Sunday mornings, our children's ministry and the lesson plan, which I am right at this moment realizing I forgot to put in the email this week. So if you are at home wanting this, uh, email Rusty and he'll send it to you <laughs> this morning. Um, but uh, that's, but we do have a plan. I have proof. There is a plan. All right. Uh, so what else? Tuesday nights. 7 o'clock, we have a Zoom Bible study. It follows along with the same uh, content we've been developing throughout this current sermon series through the book, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And so if you want to dial in and dig a little deeper, uh, please do that, and we will um, enjoy having you. It's been a fruitful series of discussions on Tuesday nights, so please zoom in for that. Um, Youth group, yes, it does. And we'll meet, uh, well, we don't, we're, we're currently on pause for summer. Um, schools are concluding, and there's all kinds of stuff going on right now. And then we have our blueprint mission trip with our youth group in June. Uh, those dates are here in your bulletin, I do believe. Yes, they are. Um, so that's coming up in June. We can, you can still register for that. We have a few open spots so encourage you to, to participate there if you are available. Um, and then our youth will be um, co-presenting with me this summer uh, for the Youth Summer Sermon Series. So that's something to look forward to as well. Um, also keep in mind on Sunday, June the 12th, the pastor of our sister church from Central Cuba will be here that Sunday. He will be preaching. His name is Pastor Miguel. And uh, just encourage you to um, be here for that, to receive him and uh, hear God's word from, from that perspective. Uh, let's see. On June 5th, we are going to have a birthday party. Yes, we are. Not for Hope, but for Peppy. And so after church on that day... Um, we are going to head down to the family room. It'll be a potluck type deal. The Hope is going to provide the protein. Uh, I think Smitty is behind that. So you can, you know, assume that's going to be great. And then we're going to, we've sent out a preliminary email with some sign up genius links. And you can sign up to bring a side or a dessert or, well, we'll have dessert. We're going to have cake, I'm pretty sure. So anyway, that's coming up on Sunday, June 5th. Um, because somebody is clicking off a decade birthday and uh, needed a place to have it. And then I was like, well, 30. yeah, 30, 30, yeah, mm-hmm. 30, maybe some additional math in there, but 30, 30 is good. All right. So that'll be just a after church kind of social lunch that I would encourage you to stick around for on that date. Uh, let's see, we do, for those of you who are currently in Discover Hope, uh, we have our final installment today after the service. Encourage you to, to be here for that if you can. Um, I think that's it for now. Why don't we have all of the important people in the room come down to the front at this time? If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat this morning before you go to Hope for Kids. Here they come. They're still coming. Why don't y'all run in like that? (laughs) I I know you do. I love that. Yeah, you don't want to run because you have a crown. 
<laughs> taking turns with the crown. That's dangerous stuff. Yeah. Well, how are y'all doing? Doing all right? You ready for summer? What's the best part of summer? No more school? I think there's an Alice Cooper song about that. What? There's, there's still more school in summertime. What's that? When there's no more school, it's your birthday. That's, that's a good way to remember it. <coughs> oh, very good. Lots of birthdays coming up. Pebby's birthday's coming up, too. I bet, I bet that Pebby will be willing to share some of her birth, birthday cake with you when we have the birthday party. All right. Pebby, she's right there. Wave, Pebby. Oh, she, she, she feeds you when you come early to church? Yes, she, she gives you cheese. Okay. So I have a question for you. So who made you? God. Okay. And what does God want from you? To be good. Also, that's not a bad answer. To be kind. What else does God want from to share? To treat others equally. Very good. What else does God want from you? No littering. He doesn't... <laughs> He doesn't want you messing with his creation. Right. I kind of hope he comes back and hands us all shovels and buckets and says, go clean up your mess. Right? But uh, what else does God want from us? So he wants us, he wants us to follow his rules. That's true. What else? To put on the crown of our salvation. All right. I like that. What else? Anything? Anything? Bueller? Anyone? What? Be awesome. So there's one more thing that God wants us to do as his children. He wants us to enjoy him. Right? To enjoy his love, his creation, his people, his church, his grace. Right? So... How is, how is that different from he wants you to follow the rules? Does God want you to follow the rules? Yes, he wants you to follow his rules. But he also wants you to enjoy him. I think, I think you're going to need to say this with me. When I, when I, when I pause in this sentence, you're going to say, enjoy him. Are you ready? God wants us to enjoy him. Enjoy him. Right? So our relationship with God should be joyful. Let me try to uh, explain. All right. In their land, God's talking about you, in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. So, all right. Do I need to take the crown? All right, and we should all put on the crown of our salvation? Okay. So, which is better, one scoop of ice cream or two scoops of ice cream? One? <laughs> Piper, Piper says ten scoops of ice cream is better. Okay, yes. So God says when he, when he gives you ice cream you will get a double portion, right? And that we, as God's children, should have everlasting joy. How long should your joy last? Forever, Forever right? God loves you, and he wants you, as his child, to enjoy him just for a couple of weeks? Forever. forever. To enjoy God forever, right? 
The love of God should put smiles on our faces and warmth in our heart, and kindness should come out of us toward other people because of that. I think you get it. Can we pray? All right. Dear God, thank you for the crown of our salvation. Thank you for the joy of our salvation that you put in our hearts through the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you call us to enjoy our relationship with you, to be people who are full of joy and hope and light and love and kindness and to show that love to others around us. And I pray you would fill these children with your Holy Spirit as they spend time in Hope for Kids and more time in your word. I pray that you would speak to them of the deep love you have for them through Jesus Christ. Fill them with your spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time and hope for kids. Hold on. Hold. Here you go. All right. Now it's the teacher's pro problem. You're welcome, Allie. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, that you have spoken to us since time immemorial, that your word is alive today, that it is living and breathing and moving in our hearts. And so we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that we would leave here changed as a result of having met you in this way, and Lord, as we prepare our hearts to do that, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our, our sins, our disappointments, and our failures, and we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lay before you the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. Lord, we pray that you would uh, be at work in the lives of those whom we know and love who are in need of your healing mercies. We pray that you would pour out your healing upon all that we know who are sick, who are recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses. And Lord, we lift up our country and its leaders at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray that you would give wisdom and discernment to them and the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform here and all over the world. We pray you would watch over and protect them. We lift up especially those who are in harm's way. We pray that you would bring them home safely. And Lord, we lift before you those who have returned home from their service to our country changed as a result of the time they spent abroad. And we pray that you would pour out your healing upon them, heart, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, that you would use us, your church, to minister that grace and love to them. And Father, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We pray that your light would continue to go forth, that it would shine through the hearts of men and women all over this world to show your grace, your kindness, your love, your beauty to others. Lord, that we might be a source of blessing to the people around us. And so, Father, to this end, we pray that you would be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in the midst of a series of messages right now through the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And so I'm going to just try to set a little bit of context for us before we jump in and read our, our scripture portion for today. Um, Isaiah lived, let's just say, about 600 B.C., give or take. Well, he lived longer than just 600 B.C., but we'll just put him in that window. And he was speaking to the people of Israel, which had been through a civil war and were now a divided nation. And he was speaking specifically to the people of, of the, the state of Judah, which was now an independent state because of the civil war and it, Jerusalem was the capital and Jerusalem was hugely symbolic because at the, at the center of Jerusalem was the temple 
And inside the holy of holies in the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. You've seen Indiana Jones, right? Okay. So that Ark was sitting in the middle of the temple, and that Ark represented the, the resting place of God on earth. And so this idea that God rested in the center of the life of his people. But God told Abraham way, way, way before there was ever an ark that his whole idea was to bless all kinds of people, all kinds of, of types of humanity through the grace that he would show to Abraham. And so God's people were, this is, this is the problem that, was, that Isaiah was addressing, that you've taken this grace that God meant to go throughout the world and you are keeping it to yourself. You're not showing kindness to others. You're, you're showing selfishness. You're, so, you're being protective. You're isolating yourself. You are not helping the love and grace of God to roll out into this world. You're keeping it all to yourself. And Isaiah basically said, if you continue to do this, it, it, that's selfishness, that's, that's sinfulness, and you will, you will ultimately isolate yourself from God. And so 150 years before the, the collapse of Jerusalem under the Babylonian army, uh, Isaiah predicted how this was going to end. Well, not end, but how it was going to play out. And he said, look, if you, stay, if you remain selfish and you continue to be this way, God's going to let an enemy destroy your temple, your capital, your your." your socioeconomic existence, your culture will be decimated. And sure enough, God's people did not listen, and they, they faced the wrath of the Babylonian Empire. And when, when that assault on Jerusalem was finished, the Babylonians had hooked up mule teams to the foundation stones of the temple and dragged them apart, as if to say, we win you lose, deal with it, and then they carted off everyone of value uh, back to their capital. Jerusalem lay in ruins, and Isaiah had predicted this. Like, if you keep this up, there will be animals grazing in what was once your, the lively streets of your city. There won't be enough traffic to keep the grass from growing through the cobblestones. And so these predictions, we've been, we've been seeing some of this throughout the, the, the series. There are three themes that Isaiah develops in his book. The first is that theme of separation, that our sin causes separation between us and God and between ourselves and others. That, that when we are selfish, there's damage that, is the res that comes as a result of that. When we don't uh, put the love of God as the priority in our lives, Others suffer, we suffer, etc. But then Isaiah doesn't stop there. He says, God understands you. He understands that you're selfish. He understands that you're sinful. And he loves you. And he is going to demonstrate to you that he has a plan that overcomes the separation of our sin. That is called salvation. It's about the restoration of relationships where God restores his relationship with mankind, with each one of us, and helps us to restore our relationships with the people around us. And so there's this theme of separation, there's this theme of salvation, and then towards the end of the book, and really throughout, he weaves these three threads throughout his work, but as he, as he gets towards the end, he really begins to focus in on this idea of sanctuary, that God calls us into a state of rest spiritually. And I want you to think about the world around us for a moment. It's, it's not a sanctuary. Ask anyone in, I don't know, Ukraine, or in poverty, or in any number of situations, the world is not a sanctuary. And yet, God says, because he loves us, and because he has sent a savior to redeem us to himself, we, even now, even in the midst of warfare and famine and suffering, we can have peace. And that peace 
transcends our circumstances. Now, we're going to read this morning, and I'm just going to try to explain this a little bit. Um, We're in chapters 61 and 62 of the book of Isaiah, and I'm not going to read all of both chapters. I'm just going to take some excerpts and try to try to arrive at the central themes of these two, two chapters. But before I do that, I want to read to you a place in the New Testament where Jesus quotes the scriptures we're about to read in Isaiah chapter 61. So I want to begin there. This is an excerpt from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4. Jesus is just emerging onto uh, the scene as a teacher of Israel, as a, as a respected adult in his community, and he's at church, good boy, um, he's at church and he is given a scroll to read. It happens to be the scroll of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and that's where we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So that's our sort of context The passage we're going to read, the passage Jesus quoted here was the beginning of Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to read some excerpts from that chapter and then the following chapter. But I, I I wanted you to see, before we read this, this idea that Isaiah is developing throughout his work that all of these prophecies, all of these promises, all of these four knowings are going to be fulfilled in one person, the Messiah. That's what the Jewish people to whom Isaiah was writing, that's how they would have understood him. Messiah just means anointed one, the one who would be anointed by God to fulfill his word, to fulfill his promises, to establish his love here on earth for all kinds of people. Okay, so I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 7 and 8, and then we'll jump to 62. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then verses 7 and 8, Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, They shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in the land they possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. 
And then some excerpts from Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 through 5 first. For Zion's sake, I will not remain silent. I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Behold, verses 11 and 12, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Say, Behold, his reward. Did I miss a line? I'm going to start in verse 11 again. I think I... Yeah, just work with me. All right. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So, all right, Had some, I have some, some old, no, they're not old, they're just longtime friends who were in town this weekend, and I told a story last night that uh, I hadn't told in a while. I may have told this already here, I don't know, right, but I'm in college, I've been dating this girl for about two and a half years, and uh, she, she comes to campus, she went to a different university, she comes to campus and she, she stayed with the woman who's now my wife, by the way, in Kathy's room. And, uh, but we went, we went to a dance together and um, I was, we were having breakfast on Sunday morning, I was about to drive her four hours back to her university and she says, I need to break up. I'm like, what? Like two and a half years, we just had a great time great weekend, I was even enjoying breakfast, this is great, and you, what? Like, I need to break up. Like, all right, fine. And then it occurred to me, like, maybe we shouldn't spend four hours in my vehicle together driving her back, so I walk her over to my 1980 Ford Bronco, and I slowly hand her the keys, and I said, why don't you just drive back, I'll get some, find somebody going south, next week or week after, whatever, and I'll come pick it up. And uh, she takes the keys, she gets in my truck, and she says, um, I moved into a new apartment, and they allow pets. Can I have my dog back? And I'd been raising this puppy that she found um, over the first, that's that previous semester. And I was on a fire department in college, and that, that dog rode on the hose bed of the fire truck with his paws on the bar and would just he was the boss right so I had to walk into the fire hall get the dog his bowl his food his leash and do the walk of shame out the door as everybody's going where are you going with our dog dude you know and I'm just like <laughs> I walk out I put the dog in the truck I turn around to go back inside and she rolls down the window she's like Tom I'm like yes I, I don't have any money for gas. <laughs> so I reach in my pocket, I take all the cash in my wallet, and I just kind of throw it in the window and walk away. 
And I say all of this, have you ever felt completely forsaken? And I realize I've just given you all the, the stanzas of a country and western song right there. <laughs> she drove off with my truck, my dog, and my money. I mean, this is just, you know, how do you... So I'm what, at this point, like maybe 20, right? And at 20, that's like everything you really know. Right? That's like everything, and it's gone, and I'm alone, and I don't have my truck, I don't have my dog, I don't have any money, and I have to walk back onto the fire hall, which is not really a support group, <laughs> in case you're wondering. The, the men and women that I served with were not there for my emotional support. Um, we were there for each other. We had each other's backs in, in, in difficulty, but yeah. Forsaken? Does that, have you been there? You felt that? And I, I see these words that have been in print for several thousand years now. The way Isaiah pens it at the end of chapter 62 you will be a city no longer forsaken. There's life. Where we, where we wind up feeling this way. And then there's our creator who cherishes us, who loves us, who desires to be connected to us. And the contrast is almost impossible to fully describe. So what is it that God wants from us? And, and I'll I'll put it this way, it's not what you think it is. I, I think most of us feel like God wants us to obey. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, right? And all of that is valid and true and part of his revealed word, and it's good for us. But ultimately, what God wants for you, for me, for all of us, is for us to enjoy our connection to him, to come from that state of devastation and feeling forsaken back into this state of connection and desire and hope and love and peace that he has established for us through the one who would fulfill all of these prophecies. That God has a plan to enter into the devastation. I want you to think about this. The, the people who were reading these words at one point had returned to the streets of Jerusalem exactly as Isaiah had described them 150 years before. There was grass growing in the streets. None of the buildings were sitting on their foundations. There were just piles of rubble everywhere. And there were a few people who were eking out a living in, in you know, little self-made shanties along the sides of what used to be Jerusalem. And Isaiah says these words to those people. He actually looks forward in history of a, a few a couple hundred years and says, out of the devastation, God will bring restoration. He is the God of rebuilding, not just walls and stones, but hearts and lives, of reestablishing hope. And he wants us to be a people who enjoy him, who come out of the devastation and loneliness into a state of joy and togetherness. So let's talk about some of what Isaiah is saying here. First, I'm going to look at Isaiah chapter 61, and I'm going to summarize it this way to say that we are called to enter into the joy of our salvation, to step into the position of God's favor. If you look at verses 1 through 3, who is God's favor for? Verse 1, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, those who are bound. Verse 2, all who mourn. 
God effectively says, I do my best work in the wake of devastation. I speak the most grace to the people who are hurting the most. I shine, my light shines the brightest into hearts that were in the darkest places. I am a God of favor and restoration, and I am here for the broken, the bound, the grieving. We are to be a people who step actively into that grace, that grace that brings us out of our brokenness, bondage, and grief, and into our healing, freedom, and strength. I absolutely love the metaphor that Isaiah employs in verse 3, the end of it, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Um, You know, a healthy oak tree can hold a lot of kids. And I, I think that's a beautiful metaphor of God's love and strength, really that he brings us from these places of brokenness and darkness. And he grows us into an entity that is able to hold a lot of kids, to be a place of joy and strength and growth. And so there is this beautiful idea that we are to be a people who step out of brokenness, bondage, and grief and into healing and freedom, growth, and strength, where we exhibit joy because we have known the comfort of our God. And as we step into God's favor, we begin this process of transformation, of moving from this place of devastation and feeling forsaken toward this place of being renewed and reestablished in who God is. This transformation out of our shame and devastation and toward restoration and eternal joy. Isaiah uses a a word in verse 8 that is very, very important. And I want to bring together a few ideas just just right now, real quick. Verse 8 of chapter 61. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So two things that are going on here. First of all, did you know God hates? But he doesn't hate you. He hates injustice. He hates wrong. And he says to his people, in the wake of injustice, I will bring my recompense to bear. Um. I've, I've said this before in this context. I'll, 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 say, I'll re- repeat this again this morning. I, I was preaching one time on a, on a passage that included the idea of God's vengeance. Excuse me, vengeance. And I sort of apologized. And I said, I, you know, this is an ugly part of our faith that God has vengeance, blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember exactly how I said it. But a woman came up to me after the service with tears in her eyes. And she said, please, don't ever apologize for God's justice and vengeance. And I said, okay, what do you mean? She said, I, I was sexually assaulted by my uncle when I was 12 years old. And she goes, and he, he lives in another country. There's, there's no hope of justice in this life for what happened to me. And she said, but I do know this. God hates injustice. And he will make all things right at some point. And I I want to hear the Bible say that God has vengeance against injustice. I said, yes, ma'am. I will never apologize again. There is, if you think about it, there is this God who is simultaneously eternal love And at the same time, he is eternally hateful of injustice, of violence, of hatred, of everything that is 
the opposite of who he is. And he has promised us that his nature will bring all of humanity into the same light, and he will make all things right. That is a promise. That is comfort. That is a strength that we have as his children. And then he says at the end of that verse, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Here's, here's what God is saying. A covenant typically involves the sacrifice at this time period and previous to this time period. A covenant would have involved the sacrifice of an animal. There was blood that was exhibited in the covenant. And the idea was, we're going to make a promise to each other. And this might be a, a land transaction, a business deal, or who knows, right? But we're going to sacrifice this bird, and they would usually then cook it and eat it together after the sacrifice. But there's, there's going to be blood that is spilled in the making of this agreement. And that blood represents that may it be done to me as it was done unto this bird if I break my terms of this covenant. Everyone in Israel would have known that when God made his covenant with Abraham, and I don't know if you know the story or not, but he put Abraham to sleep, and there were these animals that had been sacrificed, and God alone passed through the sacrifices. As if to say, Abraham, listen to the way my love works. If you break the terms of my covenant, if you do not fulfill my word and obey my law, I, may it be done unto me as it was done unto these animals. May I be the one whose blood is spilled. May I be the one who is sacrificed for your redemption. May I be the one who pays the price to restore you into right relationship with love itself. That is is what God's covenant looks like. And Isaiah echoes it here and again and again throughout his opus work that we call the book of Isaiah. We are to step into this place of grace, of light, of hope, of love, of salvation. And then if we look at chapter 62, it tells us that we should then spread the joy of our salvation. You see these references, in, like in verse 2, um, the nations. This would have been really strange language for the Jewish people to hear. Here's, here's the thing. God had told them, you are my chosen people. And they went, yes, we are. Of course we are. I mean, look at us. We're awesome. And then the nations is everybody who's not God's chosen people. And so there's a we and a they. And we still do this today. By the way, if you haven't noticed, we are very prone to this thing that's going on here. Just like, do I need to go there? I don't think so. I think we get it. Like, go, to, go politically, economically, nationally, internationally, whatever, we still do this. This is us. This is who we are as human beings. And God understands. And he says, the nations shall see your righteousness and the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name. In other words, God's love is for all kinds of people. And if we are his children, then all kinds of people should feel his love coming from our hearts. We, should be, we are the vessels through whom he has chosen to work. Bad choice, if you ask me. Um, I, yeah. Right? And, and do not think that the irony is not lost on me. Or how, What am I trying to say? It is ironic that I, a selfish, self-interested human who does damage to other humans, is standing here in front of you to tell you not to do damage to other people. 
I'm really good at it. I can throw down some anger. I can, I can lap up some selfishness. But here's the idea. That God said to us, when you break my covenant, I will suffer. I will sacrifice. I will redeem you. And what I want from you in that is to just let some of that grace leak out of you into the world. Show some other people what it means to be loved. And so, here we are, called to hold up the torch that he references in, in verse 1, her salvation as a burning torch, to help others see their new name, not forsaken, but redeemed, not despised, but loved, not cast off, but cherished. And so we are to be the people who do this, who hold up that torch of salvation to help others see their new name and to help others see and accept their new identity. You, brothers and sisters, are forgiven. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We are to be the people who help those around us see their new identity. God describes his relationship to us in verses 4 and 5 as a marriage, as an unbreakable covenant between a God and a people. That he looks at us the way a groom looks at a bride. This metaphor of beauty, of being captivated by a person. We are to help those around us feel this, that God delights in them, that all that is his is now ours. I, I do weddings periodically. The funny part is somebody will introduce me to someone and they'll say, yeah, Tom married me. I get some really funny looks when people say that. Like, no, I, I married Kathy, but I did perform their wedding ceremony. Um, but there's a point in the ceremony, typically when, when the couple is exchanging rings. You know what they say? With all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. Can you hear that from God today for you, for your heart, for who you are? With all that he is, that's the I am, that's who's saying it. With all that he is and all that he has, he honors you. You are loved, you are cherished, you are forgiven. You are the recipient of a divine promise that will not be broken. His love is for you. To redefine who you are, how you see yourself, how you treat others, you are loved. We are to hold up that torch to help others see their new name, their new identity, and we are to spread his love to join with God in the work of redemption, to leave others better than we found them, to move through this world in such a way that people are blessed. Not to be preachy, not to be self-righteous, not to um, be caught up in the we and the they, but to love well, to demonstrate to others what God has demonstrated to us. To join with him in the work of redemption and to lead others into transformation. That 
recasting of how I see myself, that reshaping of how I treat others, that reestablishment of the connection between my dark heart and the light of God's love, that that would shine through this broken vessel into the world, that God's love would be shown, that his kingdom would be grown. That people around us would know they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. You shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your love. And at how you have expressed your love through your word for millennia. That these words that we needed to hear today have just been sitting there for thousands of years. Blessing the hearts of so many before us and so many after us. May they bless us today. May we hear your promise to us that you are committed to this reconnection of our souls to your love, that you sent your son to establish that reconnection, to offer the blood sacrifice of the covenant of your love for us, that we can be forgiven. And Lord, that would be enough, but you didn't stop there. You went past forgiveness. Your love persevered through the grave, beyond it, in the resurrection, to bring us hope and to restore to us your love and to establish in our hearts the promise that with all that you are, and all that you have, you honor us. Lord, we are not worthy. We do not deserve that kind of love. And yet, we can't stop it. You, you have chosen to move, to love, to shine. May our hearts receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.